Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and I am my honor today, Stan Van Gundy, longtime friend, fellow Orlando resident on the podcast with us. Stan, thank you, and how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Glad to be talking to you. Yeah, me too, and uh, it was great having lunch with you a few weeks ago, and and I think Donnie picked up the tab, which is really good. If that happened, I don't know. I, mean, I hope. I hope. I know. I I gave you a head fake. I, I didn't reach at all. <laughs> but but uh, so you know, we, we were talking about so many things that day, and one of the things I, I wanted to mention to you, you know, this summer and all the time in the fall and everything, you're gracious enough to go around and do all kinds of clinics. What gives you the pleasure of that? Well, I, I think, um, you know, so many people uh, helped me um, when, when I was starting out as a 22-year-old coach and coming up, and so many people would take take their time, and whether it was to speak at a clinic and, you know, I'd be able to go hear them, or whether it was Hubie Brown um, letting coaches in to watch the Knicks training camp, or whether it was people talking taking time with me individually um, to answer questions that were probably dumb at that time, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, you know, so many people were willing to do that for me. I, I just, I feel like, um, you know, it's the least I can do. The very least I can do is to try to give back a little um, and to help other coaches, particularly those that are on their way up in the profession. So I think it was around uh, July 4th, I hit you and I said, hey, you want to, you know, I asked if you were going to be out in Vegas, wanted to see if you wanted to come by and do coaching you again. You've been unbelievable in supporting Kevin and I. And he said, I'd love to, but I'm in Serbia. Our first trip there to Serbia? Yeah, it was uh, first time ever. Um, you know, so uh, the second time in my life, I, I was a... Uh, a backup choice to Billy Donovan. Um, the first time, obviously, is when I got the job in Orlando. But Billy had a uh, a Serbian coach on his staff and yep. had wanted Billy to go over and do the clinic in Serbia. Huge, uh, huge clinic. They have over a thousand coaches. And but it was right. It was the week between the draft and the start of summer league. So, so obviously, Billy having a job, unlike me. Um, was not going to be able to do that. And so uh, Billy just mentioned to him, you know, why don't you call Stan Van Gundy? Like, knowing full well I wasn't doing anything. So uh, I got the opportunity to go over, and it was a great, great experience. You you also did um, you did a clinic with our friend Edere Messina in Iceland. Tell our – we have people in 50 countries that listen to our podcast. But tell our friends from the U.S., Canada about Iceland? Well, I mean, a wonderful country. I mean, just yes. very, very unique. The only thing I would say that I've been to that would be close in terms of the land and everything would be Alaska, I guess. Um, you know, but it was just, it was a wonderful place. And then the clinic was, was incredible. Probably about 70 coaches, most of them from almost all of them from Iceland. Um, but but the great thing for me was um, getting to listen to uh, Coach Messina do four clinics over there. Um, as I said to you the day we had lunch, uh, quite possibly the best clinician um, that I have ever heard. Just very easy to understand, very clear in his teaching. Um, very well thought out uh, philosophy, everything that he does, um, both offensively and defensively um, connects, uh, you know, so it was a real privilege for me uh, uh, for two days to get to, you know, sit there and uh, listen to and, and take notes on this absolute master coach. That, that's the perfect description for him. Edere and I have been friends and I've tried to learn from him for about the last 15 years when I first went over to look at European players uh, with my MBA job. I went to one of his practices and I had no idea what to expect because I hadn't had much to do. And my God, I said, this is like incredible. And uh, he, he's 
he's one of my favorite people to learn from because it doesn't matter a topic. He can nail any topic, which is, I just think, so cool. Well, no question. And he just, his philosophy of the game, um, you know, it makes sense. Everything connects the way he wants to play offensively, you know, um, goes with the way he wants to play defensively. And, you know, when you hear all the great coaches, and, and he's certainly one of them, um, I think one of the things that always stands out to me is it's really not about um, X's and O's or, you know, any kind of gimmick at all. And certainly the X's and O's are important, no question. But but it comes down to very fundamental things and coaches' ability to teach those things and demand execution and everything else. Um, and, and that was really evident in, in listening to Coach Messina because, um, you know, he really wasn't talking about a lot of X and O stuff, you know. I mean, he was talking about spacing and timing on offense and how to disrupt those things on defense and, you know, just very simple things that make the difference between winning and losing. You know, your brother, Jeff, uh, of course, the tremendous, tremendous coach slash ABC ESPN expert analyst uh, slash World Cup scout slash qualifying coach for the, our World Cup USA team. What What did Jeff say about playing international teams of FIBA basketball? Because you guys are just so passionate and pure about the game. Uh, give me some of his thoughts on it. Well, the one thing he noticed early on with the um, – with the international teams, with the national teams of those countries, is the great pride those guys have of playing for their country. And when they put those jerseys on, um, the intensity level just goes up. I mean, it is very, very meaningful for them. And then, you know, you know, even even when he was coaching the World Cup qualifying team and it was all G League players, um, when those teams play against the United States, um, the intensity climbs even another notch. Um, because I don't care who you put out there with USA on your jersey, it's a big game for the other teams. And then he noticed things like, you know, the international game is far more physical than our game. And because there's not the NBA defensive rules, um, there's not as much space on the floor. And so incorporating movement into your offense, having a lot of guys who can pass the ball, things like that really become more important. And it's, that's it. I, I love the international game, and I think it's it's going to make our game eventually way better with all the players we have, but also the influence of the coaching, I think, is huge for those of us that study their, their style of play. And I know Jeff had an appreciation for that. I want to, your dad, Bill, is one of my favorite human beings in the world. Maybe as good a learner and student of the game and passionate learner at this day than anyone I know. And every time I go to a clinic, I don't care where it is, Bill's there, okay? And he's got the best questions in the audience, okay? When you and Jeff were growing up, and, and he's your coach, what was it like? Growing up, um, there were so many things that I think being around him helped us. But, but the number one thing was what you've noticed at him and is a, such a great passion for the game and, you know, really wants to learn and he's got great inner things. Um, you know, you just saw somebody really enjoying his job all the time, uh, loved coaching, loves coaches, um, loves being around it that, I think it would have been actually pretty surprising uh, looking back on it now if we had gone into anything else um, because he presented such a uh, positive image of of what coaching the game can be. So, so when you're coaching the Magic, uh, mom and dad moved here to Orlando, to Lake Mary area, and, and to... to actually watch you. And what was it like to have him as your extra assistant coach to give you tips and feedback after a game? 
because I know he did. He gives a mate to me, and I don't, I don't even work for him and live with well, him, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> no, he, he's great now. To clarify now, he didn't. He moved to Miami when we were down there, and then they right. moved up here with us, and it had very little to do with me and my coaching. It was almost all because of grandkids, you know. Um, sure. So it was being near the grandkids who, when we came to Orlando, well, when we moved to Miami, when they moved to Miami, we had just had our fourth uh, – child and then when they moved up here um she was still in elementary school so you know our kid our kids were all still in school so that's why they came but oh no i know i know that but i know yeah passion it was great having him around you know uh people used to laugh you know that would come to our games because there were times the um you know close games things like that He, he would literally have to get up out of his seat and go up and walk on the concourse because of his, because of his nervousness and, um, you know, and things like that. Um, but with me, you know, it, it was, um, he never gave me any advice unsolicited. Now he might make a comment. You guys played well last night or, you know, boy, it was a rough night, but, not a lot unless I asked. And then when I asked, he would give me, he would give me his ideas, but, but he was never one to, you know, sit down with the report card or <laughs> critique what was going on unless, unless asked. He just liked being around. He was extremely, uh, supportive, obviously, and clearly a wealth of knowledge with over 40 years, you know, coaching the game. So, um, that part was fun, but, um, more than anything, he was just a dad and a, and a supportive one. You know, Dick Bennett is like that with Tony a lot, you know, and when the games get tight, he either can't come or he can't, can't stay in the seat. It's really, and I get it, man. It's fabulous. Oh I think yeah. It's great. I, and I got to know coach Bennett, uh, Dick Bennett. Course, I got to know him. Course. Fairly well. In fact, when I got fired at Wisconsin, Dick was the guy who came in after me. Um, mm-hmm. and I had known him when he was at Green Bay, had coached against him and then spent some time with him when he came in at the University of Wisconsin. And then even when I was in the NBA, um, I once got a, uh, just an absolutely tremendous letter from him. Um, you know, very supportive and talking about, um, some things coaches go through. And then he came and, uh, visited me, uh, in the locker room, uh, before one of our games in Milwaukee one year. And he was telling me, um, you know, how hard it was for him to watch Tony's games. And he really doesn't go to many of them in person. And so I wasn't even sure he would be at the final four this year. And it was one of the great, one of the absolute great things for me was watching he and Tony courtside after that game, sharing that moment that had been absolutely years in the making um, for the two of them. I thought it was a really, really special moment with two two great people. I don't know Tony very well at all, um, but I was really happy for Dick um, in, yeah. uh, in him being able to be there and to go through that tense time and see, see Tony come out on top. Yeah. Stan, uh, in the years now um, that you've been coaching, uh, we have so many young coaches that listen as well as guys that have been doing this like us for a long time. And talk about the importance as a head coach in the, with the topic of leadership. Well, look, that's, I I think the number one thing you do is, um, to lead people as a coach. And, and so, you know, you'll hear people say, and, and, and it's absolutely true. You know, you don't coach basketball, you coach people. And, and that's not to, you know, say that the basketball part of it and the technical aspects of it aren't really important, but, you know, the most important thing you do is leading those people. And it starts with, you know, creating a, a vision for where you're trying to go as, as a team and as a program. And, and then from there, setting your culture, which to me, culture is 
the values you are going to promote in your program and the values your program, your organization, whatever it is, is going to live by. And then your job as a leader in that regard is to enforce that. And, and that sounds harsh, but it starts with, you know, trying to get the right people, the people who will share those values. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, cultures are, you know, uh, uh, shared values in your organization and getting the people that share those values. And then for the ones that may sort of be in on the fringe, trying to communicate with them and to get buy-in. But at the end of the day, there will still come times where certain people will cross over the line to things that you can't tolerate, or if you do tolerate, will begin to break down your culture. And that's where you have to step up as a leader and understand that nothing, including the win tomorrow night, um, is worth sacrificing your culture for the long term. And you have to understand that your values are preeminent and that the leader has to be the one um, that shows that kind of courage. Difference, you've done both at the professional and the college level regarding that or is it doesn't matter for you as far as the leadership and the values and the culture yeah i don't think it really matters a lot now i I think the way you go about it it changes a lot as you know i mean at the college level you're still high school and college level you're still in large part at the um you know if you say it as a coach everybody sort of falls in line or that's just what they're conditioned to you know um at the professional level, not so much. And so you really have to work harder at communication and getting buy-in because those guys have been at it a long time. Um, you know, they're highly paid, highly successful guys. They have their own ideas on how things are going to go on. Um, and you can't take the my way or the highway approach. Um, but still, um, you have to come to an agreement on what the values are, what your culture is, and there have to be some non-negotiables there, um, and the players have to know what those are. And so I was more flexible, certainly, at the professional level. Uh, I had probably fewer non-negotiables, um, but there still are some, and um I think that's got to be the case at any level. I mean, the culture is so important. Talent is the number one thing. We got that. But, you know, if, you're, if your culture breaks down, it's just very, very difficult um, to have the kind of success that your team should have. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Stan, the best player you ever coached in the pros or best multiples. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I was fortunate. I, I think if you if you last coaching, you know, eleven <laughs> years as a head coach in the NBA, particularly now, um, that's going to be an indication that you had really good players because uh, that's the only <laughs> thing point. that keeps you around. So, uh, so I did. I had a lot of them. I, I think probably at a minimum, you know, three guys that'll end up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, 
Dwight Howard, certainly Shaquille O'Neal, and Dwayne Wade. And I would say of those guys, probably at least at the time that I coached them, um, Dwayne was the best player that I had. Now, now Shaq probably had the best career of anyone I coached, um, but I had Shaq in his the the year I had him uh, the full year I had him two thousand and four two thousand and five was the last time that he averaged twenty points and ten rebounds in a game. So he was getting toward the later years of his career there. Whereas I had Dwayne at the start of his career. I had him his first two years in the league, and and so um, you know it, it was a tremendous. Uh, uh, it was a tremendous opportunity on, on those teams, but particularly Dwayne as a as a guy who really made my career. But because because of him, we had success, and then that got me my next job in Orlando. And then I was able to coach Grob in Detroit. I mean that that's that's sort of what happens in this career is you know if you're fortunate to to coach those kind of players, then you can stick around for a while. <laughs> That's the truth. The, the old uh, Chuck Daly saying was, you know, why are you such a great coach? He said, I'm not. I'm a good coach when I have great players, <laughs> you know, and I think that was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty on the money uh, with that. When you have, uh, you know, these young coaches that I know, you know, especially in our area, you know, in Orlando area, but everywhere you go around the, around the country and the world, Young people, and they don't have to even be that young, but they come up and they say, Stan, I really want to get into the NBA. I really want to get into college. They always want that. What is what is your advice to people like that? I know, you know, and I guarantee you have some incredible wisdom for, for them because there's a lot of them listening. Well, I think you know this um, as well as I do. Uh, there's... It, it, and maybe it's the same in every profession, I don't know. But in coaching, I just don't think there's any way to lay out a path that this job will lead to the next job, will lead to the next job, will lead to the next job. I, I just, that has not been my experience of the of the people I know. And so when I get this question, um, what I tell people is, to keep their focus on trying to improve every day and become the best possible coach you can be and hope somebody notices along the way. And a lot of that comes down to luck. Now, I never coached at the high school level, but I coached at the Division Three, Division Two, Division One, low major, um, mid-major, high major levels, and then the NBA. And... Look, there were guys I coached against at the Division Three level who are as good as people I coached against at the NBA level, but their opportunity never came. Um, you just, that's just an aspect you can't control. I mean, you can network and meet people, but to me, people end up hiring people that they've seen work or that they've worked with. Um, you know, my brother got into you know, his big break, he was a high school coach and was coaching um, a very good young player named Greg Woodard, who ended up playing at Villanova. And so a lot of people were recruiting him. And after his sophomore year in high school, Stu Jackson came through and was watching. He was an assistant for Rick Pitino at Providence at the time, came through to watch Greg Woodard work out and ended up calling back to Rick Pitino. And, you know, Rick said, you know, how was Greg Woodard? And Stu said, yeah, he's really good. And I found the guy we should hire as our grad assistant. <laughs> and that how was it. That? Jeff didn't know them at all at the time. He was simply running an individual workout for one of his players. He put all of his energy into that. He wasn't spending his time networking or doing any of that. He was just trying to be a basketball coach. Somebody saw him. He ends up on the staff at Providence. He ends up coming into the NBA for the first time as Stu Jackson's assistant with the Knicks. And then he stayed on with other coaches. And, and then obviously Jeff was my entree into the league. And so 
without Greg Woodard, who <laughs> became a good player at Villanova, but at the time was a high school sophomore. Neither one of us would have uh, probably ever gone beyond the small college level. That's the damn best story of all time. Tell the folks who is on the little staff at Little Catholic School Providence College with Patino and them. Yeah, at the time it was uh it was, you know, Rick was a head coach, uh Herb Sindek. Herb um I'm trying to think of Bobby's last name. Um went on to be a head coach, but then Gordy Chiesa Gordy, and yep. my brother and then for for part of the time, Sean Carney was there, who's gone on to be a major college assistant. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, they had some great, great people. And uh, from what I understand, some great uh, lunchtime three-on-three games. And I was going to say, and, and, the, and the player on, the, on Rick's and Jeff's team that went on to be a pretty good coach was... Yeah, great coach. Going to go in the Hall of Fame, Billy Donovan. I mean, you know, back-to-back championships at, uh, you know, Florida and now has become a really successful NBA coach. And and I'm I'm sure we will see him in the uh, Hall of Fame one day. Isn't that that incredible? I mean, so it's all about relationships. It's all about timing and things like that. What have you found now about coaching today's players in the NBA, let's say. Yeah. Look, I think that guys are, you know, incredibly cooperative, um, you know, want to do the right thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I found for throughout my entire career, I, I think NBA guys are easier to coach than guys in college. Um, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of it just has to do with they have more experience with the game, so they pick things up quicker, and they're just more mature people. So, um, you know, people I talk about the ego part of it, but, you know, I always half-jokingly say um, I don't have to worry about that because my ego is bigger than theirs. So, um, you know, but you need that ego. I mean, you're going out in front of – you know, eighteen, twenty thousand people plus whatever's watching on TV every night. You better have an ego. So that part's easy. I, look, I think the tough part now is, and probably always has been to a large degree, but the tough part is just the, you know, team versus individual stuff. And I think that's gotten harder for a couple of reasons. Um, I think, number one, there's so much player mobility now, particularly in the NBA, but even in college with transfers and grad transfers. College now play for three different colleges, um, and and a great number play for at least two. All of this mobility, I think, um, has gotten to the point where a lot of times, unfortunately, I think it's it's not about grow other and getting better. It's about players looking to achieve individual goals. And and while there's nothing wrong with that, I think it's taken a lot of the fun out of the game for those very same players. Um, you know, one of the things that the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, talked about during the season was how many unhappy NBA players he encounters, you know, and these guys are making great money and have great fame and everything else. And yet he sees a lot of them that are unhappy. And I think, you know, as I go on in in life, what happens is you notice people who are really, really happy. And it is always the people who, sort of get out of themselves and are all about other people and, and all about the group. And they're not as focused on themselves. And, and I think the same thing goes on in the NBA now, as we've gotten more into the individual side of it. And it's about, you know, your contract and your brand and everything else. Um, you lose that team aspect and people just aren't as happy. Our players aren't as happy. And and I'm not one. Look, I don't begrudge them 
at all. I, I I think the players deserve to make the money they're making when that you know um, getting over fifty percent of the income. I think they deserve the freedom to move among teams. Um, I think it's great that they've been able to parlay their basketball success into marketing and things like that. I'm all for that. I'm just saying that I think that approach, while it's paid off materially for a lot of these guys, has not left them as happy. Boy, and that makes it obviously much more difficult to coach people. It's like having unhappy children, right, at home. Coaching, parenting, same deal, right? Absolutely. And and, and look, I I think that, you know, it's going on at every level now. Like, I, I remember back, you know, when my dad was coaching in high school, um, you know, in the sixties and, and even as you got in the seventies and eighties, and even as I was starting to come up, you know, there was value, um, just being on a team, even if you didn't play, I mean, there was value. I kids felt it. They just wanted to be on the team. Everybody wanted to play, but hey, if I didn't, the next best thing was just being on the team. The parents saw the value in that. Um, and everybody was about the team and your school and all of that. And it just seemed a, a happier time. Now you're in high school. And if you're not getting, you know, enough minutes or if your kid isn't getting enough minutes, you know, you're looking to, move them on to the next school. And it's the same with AAU teams and everything else. The transfer rates in college continue to go up. And again, just like I said with the NBA guys, I don't begrudge kids any of that. I don't even think they should have to sit out. I think, you know, they if they want a better situation, they should be like every other college student in the country and being able to transfer. But I'll still make the same point. When your focus is always on yourself and am I getting enough out of this, it seems like the answer will always be no. And people just aren't as happy as they would be if they threw themselves 100% into the team and just enjoyed that experience of being with a group of people who are working toward a a common goal. To me, that's the most enjoyable part of being in athletics, whether it was me coming up young as a player or as a coach. It's that feeling, that camaraderie um, that's at the height of the athletic experience. And we're, we're losing that a little. And I don't think that the players now and the parents now have that same kind of perspective. Right, that's that is off the charts. I I totally agree on that, Stan. When you're, what do you think about when you're looking at the league about the way uh, the game is being played now, as opposed to when we first broke into the NBA and we're coaching, uh, whether it be, you know, you're coaching for Riles, I'm coaching for UB or or Chuck Daly, and and the way it is, and you know, the style of play. But now the style of play now, I'm not a. In our time, it was better, and now it's no good. I'm not like that at all. Just your feelings about style of play in the league now. Well, I, I think the one thing that has happened, I, I think this, I mean, the league's never been better in terms of the skill of the players, the, mm-hmm. the pace of the game. It, it's not maybe back where it was in the uh, 70s and 80s, but, but the pace of the game is up. Um, I think the rule changes a long time ago that, you know, took some of the physicality out defensively has opened up the game. I think that's all been good. I think there's a lot of good things um, in our game uh, right now. I, I think the only thing I look at and and wonder a little bit is, and I think part of this maybe is the role of analytics and it it seems like now there's only one acceptable way to play the game and you know you you've got to you've got to run you've got to shoot a lot of threes you don't post anybody up Um, (laughs) and the thing I wonder about that is if you're going to play the same as everybody else and practice the same as everybody else prepare the same as everybody else 
then it's all going to come down to who has the best players. And that's only going to be one team. And, and so, you know, the only way you're going to overcome that is, is to be a little bit different, play a little bit different, practice a little bit different. And it doesn't seem like people are willing to do things differently anymore. And it does seem like, like when I came into the league 20 plus years ago, um, a lot of different styles, you know, there were, yeah, there were more post up people and things like that. Now everything cycles. And so it may cycle back. Um, because look, if you're going to say it's, you know, about getting the most efficient shots in the game, layups, free throws, threes, well, defensive teams try to take that away. How are you going to counter that? Um, and, and things like that. So I think for, to some degree, it will cycle back a little bit, um, but we'll see. I think it's fascinating, the style of play, because, uh, you know, when I came in with UB and then Fratello and then went to Chuck, the thing I noticed about those three guys is when, especially when we went to Detroit, uh, their, their style of play, we played playoff basketball 82 games. I mean, that's just right. our style. So we made no adjustments to the playoffs. That's the way we played all the time. And I thought it was different than when the Celtics played and other teams. And I thought, you know, and Riles, of course, was, you know, a showtime in LA then. And he was just the opposite of us. But man, when he came over to be with Jeff over in New York, he played just like us. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny that he did that. And he, he was, he became more physical than the Pistons were, you know, which was interesting, but he adapted and changed his style, which I, I just think, you know, is part of his brilliance, I guess, you know, um, you know, let's, uh, you know, but I think that is just so unique and stuff. I, I wanted to get your opinion on, on, on style, especially because it is so different nowadays. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what, you said about Pat is true and we could probably talk about several others, but I think it is, um, you know, a, a real mark of excellence that guys are able to, you know, succeed with two totally different styles of play. Um, and I think it goes back to the point we talked about earlier. It, at the end of the day, it's not about X's and O's, even though the X's and O's have to be solid and they have to fit your personnel, but it's about things like adapting to your personnel. And then it really comes down to execution of fundamentals, the ability to teach, the ability to communicate with your players and to get them to play at a high level, to maximize their potential. I, you know, so if you can do those things, you can change styles of play um, from year to year. And I think we have seen that with a number of very good coaches. You know, as a last note on this, um, you know, if you remember when um, Phil Jackson took over for Doug Collins, completely changed the style of play, put in the triangle and stuff. And, uh, and, and it was you know, and it was a huge adjustment for Michael Jordan, huge, and uh, took him a little while to get it. But that style of play carried through Phil's entire career that he adopted Tex winner style, and it was a different style that, frankly, no one has ever run in the league effectively, only Phil, right? No, that's exactly right. And I, I'm one who thinks there's a lot of different styles that will work, a lot of different offensive mm -hmm. systems um, you know, things like that, that'll work if you have the personnel that fits it. And I think being able to adapt to that is key. And if you teach well enough, if you demand and get execution, things like that, I mean, we've seen different styles work. And that's why I do have a concern with every team seeming to want to adapt you know, very similar styles. I shouldn't say every team. There are teams in the NBA who play differently. But now, you know, I think certainly what everybody's looking for is coaches who say they will run and shoot a lot of threes and 
you know, it's not as much about looking at the personnel and saying, well, okay, this is what fits us. I think this is what would make us the best based on our personnel right now. Um, it, it's all about getting sort of closer to this idealized way uh, to play. You know, and I've heard people, well, you know, I mean, Golden State does this. Listen, you don't have Golden State's players. Nobody had Golden State's players. And so if you're going to base your style of play on the fact that it worked in Golden State, make sure you have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, or guys very close to that. Yeah. Or it's not necessarily – you've got to determine – a big part of coaching is, like, this is the personnel you you have. What's going to work best with those guys? What's going to give you – the chance, the best chance to win. And and I don't think, you know, maybe in college, especially at some of the elite places, maybe you can just go out and recruit um, to your system and the kind of guys you want. Maybe you can do that. Um, but certainly at the high school level and even the, you know, lower division one schools and lower division in college and, and NBA. I mean, your personnel is going to change and you're going to have to be able to adapt to get the most out of them or you're going to be trying to fit square pegs into round holes <laughs> and that's not going to allow people to produce. And, and look, I, I think one of the things that happens is, you know, and it frustrates players is they have, uh, you know, certain strengths as players and your job as a coach is to put them in positions to utilize their strengths and to hide their weaknesses. And when that's not done and you're just trying to fit them to their system and they sort of know they're not able to play to their strengths, that's a very frustrating thing um, for players. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and new teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Stan, I know you're excited about changing from ESPN to going to Turner, uh, Turner Sports. And talk about your new role there and why the jump? I know you're a free well, agent like Durant. Everyone, all the great ones had to move this summer. Okay, but why, why do you? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was quite as big a move. Um, no, I, I, I don't I, think in it my was eyes, quite it as was. important to the NBA. Yeah. My, my move, and, but, and Kim, um, your wife's eyes, it was too. Yes, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was a good move for me. Um, uh, number one, I had, I had heard great things about the people at at Turner Sports and the relationships they have with their, uh, you know, their analysts and their, their broadcasters and things, um, you know, very, very positive reviews of, of their organization and their culture, which was great. Um, and then I think being able to have a defined role. So, you know, at ESPN, I did a lot of jumping around, enjoyed all of it, but never sort of knew when I was going to be doing what. Um, a more defined role at uh, at Turner. Um, 
and then the, the big part about that role that really appealed to me is um, a chance to uh, be a game analyst. While still the biggest part of my role will be in the, in the studio for NBA TV, um, I will get nine or ten in Tuesday night games game analysts. And that was important to me, um, you know, because there's just nothing better than being in the arena and being part of the game, and if I if I'm not going to be coaching, being as close to it as I possibly can, and so Turner was willing to give me that opportunity, and uh, that really sold me on the move. No, I think I think it's going to be great. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, what about um, I I loved it last year, last spring when you came to Stetson University, which is nearby home wife is on the board of trustees here and you became a adjunct professor let's call it in the school of business what was that like to be with the students on a weekly basis yeah look i it was a monday night course so we were eight i really looked forward to that time every week i had 17 the vast majority of whom were engaged and in what we were talking about, it was about, you know, basically just contemporary issues in sports and they were engaged and obviously intelligent and, you know, threw out a lot of different viewpoints, uh, just energizing uh, to be around them. So that was great. But the other thing I took away from them and hopefully people realize it is, I don't care what level, you know, from elementary school to high school to college, teaching is really, really hard. And I was only teaching one class, one class, one night a week. Um, And I was probably putting in 15 to 20 hours outside of class every week and trying to do that and with the broadcasting and wanting to spend time, uh, you know, with my wife and see my kids and our plethora of animals and everything else it it became overwhelming um you know and so i decided not to do it again um as much as i loved the monday nights uh teaching was just i want to be honest harder than i wanted to work at this point (laughs) Uh, you know and i gained even more i've always had respect for teachers but man it went way up i mean just to realize and i'm thinking you teach four classes and you're grading all those papers and everything else. I think people look and say, oh, they've got the summers off and, and they look and they're, they're only in professor, you know, 12 hours a week. Yeah. But you're not seeing all of that time outside of class. And then a lot of them are doing research and writing yeah. papers and consulting and all of these other other things it's overwhelming it's an important job but it's a and it's a fulfilling job i would guess um just based on my limited experience but it's extremely difficult that's not an easy way to earn a living that i can tell you and and if i can i just want to share well you you shared with me about what you're going to do for sets in this uh semester in that you're going to Go to, please, our audience, don't take this wrong. Stan's going to go to prison, but Stan is going to go to our local security uh, facility and he's going to teach inmates. I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard, man. I envy the heck out of you. Yeah, I hope it works out. Yeah, we're talking about it right now and we're trying to work it out. If something will work out, we'll do it to some degree. We haven't decided what, probably something along the lines of history of American sport. I I was, I got the opportunity um, last year um, through a professor at Stetson, Andy Eisen, to go up and, uh, and speak just as a guest speaker to his group. He's a history professor and teaches at um, Tomoka, the correctional institution. I went up and spoke to him and came away very, very inspired because you know, there were students in that class who are not getting out of prison um, and yet are taking classes and trying to better themselves. Um, they're not going to be able to use it for any 
material gain or anything else. They just want to learn and get better. I fed me about the possibilities during the year. Uh, it was a uh, tremendous opportunity, and we're just waiting to see whether it's going to be a you know course for credit or or if it's going to be um, more of a work stop thing. Um, but in some way, um, once I complete the training that's required, I'll be able to uh, to go up there and, and interact with what I consider to be a group of people. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a fabulous thing, and it's great that those guys are – you know, so into it and stuff and, and that you're sharing once again with them. So my friend, we could talk all day, but you have things to do. And I know our coaches all across the world love when you come on and, and, and teach and share with them. So my brother, thank you so much. I really appreciate you as a friend and uh, as a coach and uh, love to see you all the time when you come up and visit. That's the best part about coming back here. But th Stan, thank you so much. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Stan. Amazing guy, amazing coach. Anytime you get to see him, hear him, read about him, follow up because he is one of the treasures in our coaching profession. Love him to death. Remember, coaches, uh, you're getting started with the season. Things that Stan talked about, uh, preparation, proper fit, make sure you get all the things for your offense. You can now go on to coachingu.tv and get any of the individual uh, videos that we had from this summer with our Coaching You VIP experience out in Las Vegas. Fabulous coaches. You heard him talk about the great Edre Messina, one of the greatest teachers, master coaches in the world. Anytime Ed Ray speaks, it's a knockout, okay? We had so many people in so many different areas that just crushed it, okay? So make sure individual tapes, it's a must for you if you're really interested in growing as a coach, go into coachingyou.tv. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. <laughs>